The Kinky Cocktail Hour is brought to you by Motor Bunny, the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator that offers fabulous creative sexual experiences. We use it and it rotates, it vibrates, and it delivers mind-blowing orgasms. Enjoy Motor Bunny as your favorite sex toy. When you order the Motor Bunny, multiple attachments are included along with the link controller, which allows wireless control from anywhere. Motor Bunny is the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator on earth. Use the link in the show notes and spice up your sex life with a Motor Bunny. You're listening to Kinky Cocktail Hour, a conversation between adults about sex-forward relationships, kinky lifestyles, and frank communication. If you're under 18, please stop listening and visit scarletteen.com. I'm Lady Petra. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm Sapphire My pronouns are him, his, and he. And this is Kinky Cocktail Hour. Cheers! Cheers! So what are we drinking today? Well, we're still on Pilsners. Yep, day two of Pilsners. Yes, so this is White Bluffs Brewing, and it's a Pilsner made in the German style of the Pilsner log, right? They're out of Washington, Richland, Washington. And there's a lot of hop farms on the way out, yeah. east side, so this is probably from that place. That's good. Mm, that's that's a good Pilsner. It's smooth. Now, this one isn't as bubbly as the one we had yesterday, uh-uh. but it has more hops in it. Yes. Definitely. And it definitely says that it's hopped with Paralay and Tetanang. Okay. It's a type of hops. Okay. Well, I think of the two we've tried, I like this one better. It's really smooth. Mm-hmm. Even if it's hoppy, it's not too hard hoppy. It's mm-hmm. just enough to give it that uh, almost bready type feel. Well, it, it gives you like that beer oomph. Mm-hmm. That hops, hops mm-hmm. do that. So it's good. Smooth to the palate, not too fizzy. So we both agree we like this one better than the last one. We both agree. Yeah. So it's kind of a fun conversation today, you know. We love talking to kinksters. We love talking to kinksters who are entrepreneurial and organized. And what we have today is Sir Ezra, who's the director of education at the Sanctuary at the LAX Studios. He's the headmaster at the House of Elgos. And he's the coach and educator of whatsinmykinky.com. And he's an author and teacher as well. So, Sir Ezra, welcome to the conversation. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. We ordinarily begin our conversation by inviting you to share your journey in kink. So tell us about, you know, just your life journey in sexuality, when you discovered yourself as a sexual creature, how that evolved, and how it led to what you're up to today. Sure. Well, I mean, I can go way back. I I was very exploratory, even uh, as like a three-year-old, four-year-old. Uh, let's just say I played a lot of doctor, right? Um, and then as I become an adult, as I became an adult, just, you know, skip forward, uh, you know, 13 years here. I remember my first real, like, relationship where I was calling them girlfriend. They were calling me boyfriend, and it was consistent was actually kind of like a master-slave dynamic. And we didn't have the words for that, but she would do whatever I wanted and was, you know, always awaiting instruction, as it were. 
Um, and I had a lot of kinky sex in my young years. I'm not sure. Like I, it's, it's a mystery to me how I found partners that were willing to explore as much as I was, but somehow I did. Um, but then at a certain point, I had this unfortunate misconception that kinky sex or maybe even just sexual fulfillment was like not necessarily part of a good deal that I ought to put childish things aside and find a partner who is going to be a good partner and, you know, reliable and consistent and, you know, sex wasn't that important. Right. So I ended up in a so-called vanilla marriage, right. Where the kink really wasn't a huge part of it. And I thought I could get her to open up. She thought she could get me to settle down and I opened up more and she settled down more. So uh, neither one of us got what we wanted, but um, you know, that ended amicably. But one of the biggest issues was how important kink was to me. That was one of the pivotal issues that sort of led to our separation. And uh, now I am living my best life. I'm remarried. I'm in a 24-7 master-slave dynamic. Uh, and I am 100% in it. You know, I'm I'm kinky professionally. I'm kinky personally. So it's it's pretty much my whole life at this point. Got it. Okay, good. You know, so first of all, thank you for sharing your journey. It parallels both Lady Petra and mine almost to a T, where we both discovered our vanilla marriages were unfulfilling and now we're living in a 24-7 dynamic so we totally get what you've accomplished and what you're up to i'm really curious you've got so many hats that you wear why don't you sort of share some of the intricacies of your professional kink life tell us more about all of it uh sure i'd be happy to so uh i am the headmaster of the house of algos which is really it's more personal than it is professional uh, because it is our BDSM slash leather household. And that is the name of the company that I've started. So uh, it's a little bit of crossover, but um, so I'm also then the director of education at Sanctuary Iliac Studios, which is what I consider to be my home dungeon. And I realized that if we've got these two conferences, right, there's a, there's a, a spring conference and a, and a fall conference. And there's a lot of education that happens then. But beyond that, it was really like you had to know that you could come and teach a class at Sanctuary. And you had to be willing to talk to the headmistress. And you had to basically it was all on you to teach, right? If, if somebody wanted to teach, then they had to do all of that. And there was no like funnel. And I realized that that's not the best way to go about things. And so I proposed to Mistress Cyan, who's my my uh, my boss at Sanctuary LAX Studios. I said, well, why don't you let me be the director of education and I'll solicit educators and I'll bring them in on a regular basis. And this was pre-pandemic. Uh, so we started, I think I started in November of 2019. And we did classes in person at Sanctuary LAX, which is in Los Angeles, not far from the airport. And the whole time I was like, we need to get these online too. It's going to expand our audience. And then as soon as lockdown happened, we just went 100% online. So we've been doing, we've been doing classes every other week 
since November of last year. And I'm uh, sorry, November of the year before last. So uh, and some of our classes have garnered as many as 90 participants, which is fantastic. Really, COVID has increased our numbers because people were stuck at home. And a lot of people are discovering kink for the first time through this pandemic. And this has been a way for them to get those experiences, even if they're not local. Um, all right. So that's director of education. Now, I'm also um, a professional dominant, also at Sanctuary LAX Studios. I don't think I mentioned that before. I'm also a coach, which is to say that I help people find their place in the BDSM community. I help people find ways to fulfill their fantasies and sort of embody that sexuality that they want to be living, but maybe aren't quite there yet. Um, and then I'm also an author. I just wrote uh, Mind Fucking Mindfully, a guide to mental manipulation for BDSM and sadomasochism. And I think I think that's all the hats. That's really cool. I'd love to dive into all of it, actually. So let's start with the book. So tell us about Mind Fucking. Yeah, so Mind Fucking is a, I mean, I call it mental manipulation, right? So it's, in the broadest sense, Mind Fucking is any activity that is geared towards causing your partner to have a specific psychology or emotionality, right? And I think we all know mind fucking in the vanilla sense. We all know this like causing somebody to be puzzled or confused or an illusion. But in mind fucking mindfully in the erotic context, it's all of those things except consent is required. And also goodwill is required and also, of course, eroticism. Got it. Okay. So give us an example of how mindfucking with consent and eroticism and goodwill works in a kink dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think this is something that we all do. I mean, I again, I, I cast a pretty broad net to make sure that I'm including all of the types of mind fucking. But if, for example, you're like spanking somebody and it's like tap, tap, whack, tap, tap, whack, tap, tap. Now all of a sudden you've established a pattern and that whack doesn't come. So you're playing with that person's expectations. So toying with somebody's expectations is definitely a mind fuck. And there's all kinds of ways to do that. You know, another way would be like just leaving out toys that you have no intention of using, right? It's like a, you set out all your toys you're going to have your play session with, and among them is a sledgehammer. And then they're like, oh, not that, not that, you know, but it, you never were going to use that, right? Got it. Yeah. Okay, good. So that looks like a good book to read. And how's it been received so far? Um, it's been great. I think a lot of people pre-ordered it, which is a fantastic vote of confidence considering, I mean, uh, this is my first book and I published independently. So there's been a lot of like associated expenses and it's been wonderful. I've effectively crowdfunded the book because everyone was willing to sort of hedge on a bet that the book was going to be good. Right. So I sold like 70 copies ahead of the, the release date and that's been really good. And we're just getting started. I think the 21st of May was when it was first available on Amazon and it's available as a, uh, paperback. It's available as a Kindle book. 
and any day now it'll be available as an audiobook. That's awesome. And good for you for self-publishing. You're about to discover, if you haven't already, that self-publishing, marketing your book is a full-time job just on its own. So, you know, more power to you. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the education programs. What do you offer and how does one become an an educator? Because, for example, Lady Petra and I do kink relationship coaching. Would we be able to present at Sanctuary? Yeah, I'm not going to turn anybody away uh, from an interview, at least. And I think I'm, I'm... I don't want to say that nobody's doing interviews, but I think that there was a lot of kink venues that were just going by, oh, I know him. He's great. We'll have him teach. And that's fine, but it really limits the scope. And it also um, it also sort of limits the professionality of the way that these things happen, right? So uh, I've been doing interviews. So if you, for example, were interested in coming on and, you know, the content sounds like it's a good fit. So, uh, you know, you definitely got my interest. But I would say, okay, give me 15 minutes of the middle of one of your presentations. We do uh, like 60 to 90 minutes. And then usually a 30 minute sort of window for questions afterwards. They don't, you don't usually fill the window. But um, but we would do the interview over Zoom because we're doing our presentations over Zoom. So you really would need to be able to be competent in that way. But, but, you know, that's how, that's how that works. But it's a lot of finding people who already were teaching, right? Um, I do want to make sure that it's available for people who are brand new. And if somebody comes and they're like, they give me a really rough presentation, I'll be like, well, you know, I appreciate your spirit. I don't think you're ready. These are the things I would have you change. If you want to come back in a month or two, I'd be happy to interview you again. So that's kind of how that works. So that's great. What I'm curious about, though, in the world of kink, especially as lived in the dungeon, a lot of education is best if it's face-to-face, hands-on, right? So how are you handling technical coaching in this online paradigm? Yeah, that is a challenge. Um, And if you're going to ask me which is better, like in-person teaching or virtual teaching, obviously it's going to be in-person. But that simply wasn't an issue for this last year, right? Or there wasn't an option for over this last year. Um, for me, I mean, I've taught a lot of hard skill classes over this last year. So like whips, fire play, knife play, flogging. And what I'd like to do is record a demonstration ahead of time. Because I think it can be really tough to give a demonstration and talk at the same time. So I focus just on what I'm doing. I do the thing, record it. Maybe I've even got it like hands, you know, close, you know, hands filling the screen. For example, knife play, you want to really get in close. And so then I've got a video that I can play during the class. And of course, it doesn't replace the value of hands-on, but uh, that's about as good as we can get at this point. Got it. Yeah, definitely. The last year has been interesting. It's been blessing and a curse in a way. For us, it's been a total blessing. You know, we've really gotten to spend all of our time together. And, you know, when you live in a 24-7 dynamic, what's better than that? So, (laughs) so, So we've had the best of both worlds. So, okay, good. Tell us about the House of Elgos and what living in a leather community is all about for you guys. Sure. And it's uh, Algos, like uh, uh, sounds like ghost. 
But um, yeah, so for us, it's about intentional living. It's about these are the standards that we're planning on holding ourselves to. And, you know, you might say, oh, well, if you're going to get married, if you're going to have a relationship, then you should be doing that. But I think a lot of people never do. You know, I know in my first marriage, you know, we never sat down and said, what what did we want out of our lives together? You know, maybe it's because we were in our 20s, our 20s and we didn't really know. But um, it's it's sort of like having a, a another person in the relationship that is the the supervisor almost like uh, so I'm I'm the dominant in our in my dynamic with my partner. And currently we're the only two people in the house, but it also gives me an opportunity to set standards that I'd like to live by, you know, that maybe they, they're not, maybe I haven't sort of spelled it out in my actions up and until the point where I formed the house. But once I formed the house, you know, these are the values that I want to have. These are the standards that we're going to live by. And then we also get to set a lot of house protocols. So they're not personal protocols. And right now there's not a huge difference because the protocols are just between me and my partner. Uh, But we are both polyamorous and we do intend on expanding the house uh, when we get the right applicant. Um, But, you know, a way to think about it is, you know, it's like it's like a company handbook, right? We're not just flying by the seat of our pants. We know how we're going to handle things. So, like, for example, uh, if um, somebody wanted to apply to be part of the household, it's not just like a sit around and mull it over kind of thing and say, okay, yeah, sure, you're in. You're in the club, right? Uh, there's an application process. There is a there's a written application. There is a minimum six-month consideration period. And there's a minimum six-month training period. So after at least a year, you could be in the house. Got it. And I'm curious how closely you align to the larger leather household construct, because that's a little bit of a different model, but that it sounds very similar in a way. Well, I think it's important to to acknowledge our roots and BDSM would not be anywhere if it weren't for leather. But I do think it's different in that mm, I don't I don't see necessarily leather households being as spelled out as as mine is often times. And I also uh, it's open to any gender, any sexuality. Uh, and that's not always the case with leather. I mean, sometimes it is, but um, definitely in BDSM, we're, we're pretty open that way. So I have a question that comes up in my head because I'm, I'm trying to get wrap my head around the whole idea. So you say both of you are in the house and you're both polyamorous. And so I get that. And for me, polyamory means more many loves, many something like that. And then you have this application and this waiting period and things like that. And I don't, I don't, I guess what is confusing for me about, is it polyamory more in the sense of people coming in to apply to either side of the slash or is it polyamory like multiple loves? Because like, you know, for example, when I went to look for a partner, I didn't go do an application. Yes, I vetted people, but. You're asking, is it polyamorous or is it just open? 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm asking. Yeah. I hear you. And to me, the distinction between polyamory and openness is love, right? An open relationship. You can sleep with people, but you're not allowed to be in love with people. Right. Uh, Whereas polyamory, you're open to love. You're open to love. And we are, we are indeed open to love. And we also have to appreciate that not everybody that we have a relationship with is going to be in the house. Right. Um, And the way to think about it, right. Is this sort of messed up Venn diagram where it's only concentric circles. Right. And on the far, the farthest circle is everyone in the world. And then the inner circle is everyone, you know, and then inside of that is everyone in your community. Everyone in that inside of that is all of your friends inside of that maybe is all of the people you love inside of that is family, like people you sort of consider chosen family, but inside of that circle is household, right? I mean, I love a lot of people, but they're not necessarily going to be aligned with my goal in life such that they're going to be like life partners, right? Got it. I totally get that. Yeah, I totally get that. That makes sense. Okay, so you got lots going on. Yeah, I'm a busy boy. I'm interested to know, you know, as we come out of the pandemic and, you know, as people are getting vaccinated and the culture is opening up more, I'm interested to know how you plan to transition back to, or if you do plan to transition back to live coaching and in-person coaching. Yeah, well, we are fortunate to be in a place that has a lot of people who are vaccinated. So we've been able to have vaccine-only parties. We've done maybe three at this point at Sanctuary LAX Studios. And I've been able to offer in-person coaching for people who are fully vaccinated already. So that's already sort of slowly happening. But I find that there's a lot of people that I've interacted with who couldn't possibly have met me in person because they're in Minnesota or they're in Alabama. And being over the phone is actually really effective. You know, I think it's easy to imagine that BDSM coaching is like, how do you throw a whip, right? How do you throw a flogger? How do you how do you do fireplay? But really, that's like the vast minority of it. The majority of the work is self-knowledge and communication, because if you don't have those skills, you really can't you really can't do any of it. No, that's absolutely accurate. That's the whole point of our coaching as well, which is to really help people get present to who they actually are and what they're actually seeking as their true, authentic selves. Right. And that's the root of our coaching paradigm. So, you know, you're speaking our language and we totally are in agreement about the importance of being straight and being in communication with your partner. So that's cool. Yeah, we, it sounds like we offer, you know, similar services. Well, you know, we don't have a dungeon. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do in-person coaching like that either. Okay, so if somebody's interested in getting to know more about you and wants to discover about the book or about Sanctuary or anything else, why don't you tell people how they can get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm really consistent with my social media handles. They're almost all... House of Algos, and that's A-L-G-O-S. My website is houseofalgos.com. And 
there's also a gum road. I'm not sure if you've heard of gum road, but it's a place, it's like a little marketplace kind of thing. And we have a lot of recorded classes. I know scheduling can be challenging for some people and other people are really concerned with privacy and don't want to show up in any way. Uh, And so they can go on this gumroad.com slash house of algos and they can download any number of classes, watch at their leisure. And you can also actually get the book on Gumroad and I get just a little bit uh, better payout than I would get on Amazon. So if you feel like doing that, feel free. Great. Very cool. It's really great. Well, you sound like a very thoughtful guy who's really dabbling into kink in a way that comes from a place of ethics and integrity, mm-hmm. which from our point of view is really where you have to be. And you implied this in your earlier speaking. It's what kink demands of you. You know, It demands that you're in communication. It demands that you deal with each other with integrity. And so I acknowledge you just for being somebody who's not just living the dream, but putting it out there in a way that supports ethical and consensual kink and, and safe play, which I appreciate. Thank you. I mean, it, it's, it is absolutely essential. We're under kind of a microscope because of, unfortunately, widespread misunderstandings about a lot of things. You know, I think you don't have to prove that you're ethical if you're if you're just into vanilla sex, right? But uh, that's still as, as likely that you would be unethical in vanilla sex than it would be in BDSM, right? But um, but I also think because a lot of our activities look like abuse or can maybe like sort of include the same activities of some abusive behaviors, then it's it's actually everybody's job in BDSM to know very well the difference between BDSM and abuse so they can prevent it in their own relationships and also so they can prevent it in a community space. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting observation because there's definitely an opportunity for unethical, let's call them predators in kink, to take advantage of people's goodwill and willingness. And so the idea that there's an opportunity as a community to police without using the word police too aggressively, but to share who they have concerns about and what they're concerned about in a way that lets the community get out of the community, those people who don't operate ethically. I think that's kind of an interesting conversation. Yeah, let's use the word self-moderate. I feel like that's a whole lot less uh, maybe beat you to death kind of word. (laughs) No, I agree. I agree with that. Okay, well, I appreciate you coming on. Thank yeah, you thank so you for much. Being here today. Very interesting. We'll be in communication, I'm sure. And good luck as you transition from the pandemic to real life. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I, I hope we can come on again with my partner sometime. Oh, uh, for sure. That's it for today. If you're interested in kinky relationship coaching, online domination, or if you'd like to sponsor the pod to keep it going, please visit our Patreon website at Lady Petra Playground. You can reach me via email at ladypetraplayground at gmail.com. Our music is composed and performed by Roger Ferguson, who can be found at rogerfergusonmusic.com. Till next time, cheers! Cheers!